Hello and welcome to Do The Franchise with me, Jake. And me, James. And it is another film, James. <laughs> it, it is. It is. You've you remembered what we do here. Uh, we, we're doing another film, Jake. It's a, it's a good one, hopefully. Yeah, we like doing films. It's kind of our whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> it is, isn't it? I think people would be disappointed if we, we didn't. Mm. It's like, I we're reviewing wood staining today. Um Oh, imagine yeah, it's a podcast some good that actually wood staining. That. It probably is. It's the rule of the internet, right? If you can think it, it exists. They do say that, don't they? Um, how are you anyway, James? You're all right. I I'm all good. I'm all good. How are you? I am fine. I have spent the last two weeks battling COVID. Um, I say battling. It wasn't really battling. I had my jabs, so I just had basically a bad cold for about two weeks. But I'm on the mend now. You're on the mend. That's good. Yeah. Not fun though. Don't don't want it again. <laughs> no, no, wouldn't recommend. Not not good for your health in no. any way. Unlike this film, which I will recommend, and I did get to watch it whilst I was ill. I've watched it twice now. Um, this is Lethal Weapon Two, uh, obligatory sequel and follow up to our first uh, film in the new series, Lethal Weapon. Um, I really like this film, James. I think they it's did great. so well with the first one that they came back with the pretty much the same cast and crew and uh, director, writer, and did it all over again, but better. It is cool, isn't it? Like sequels these days are purely made. I, I mean, again, I'm going to be shot down, I'm sure, for this critique, but largely they're made just to make more money. Yeah. Um, this film genuinely felt like it added something more to the second one and and took us further into the characters of Riggs and Murta. I I just really liked it. And this it's one of those things where like sequels do feel in all senses like I don't know, you think about things like uh, even when they did Star Wars, they had to do a sequel. I know Ghostbusters 2, they, they've been asked to do that for years. Funnily enough, I think Ghostbusters 2 is the same year as this in, in 1989. Yes. But it's just that thing of, if you know, they hound the director, they hound the writers uh, from the studio perspective to say, we want to follow this film up, we want to make more money. And then the filmmaker has to kind of come back to that table and, and put something out on the table that people will like. And that's why sequels, I think... Especially with a film like this, that you know, the lethal weapon that was like lightning in a bottle. Mm. I find that you really struggle to pull off a sequel to these kind of films. Yeah, like when you think about it, it was a really well done, self-contained, low budget action film. And then mm-hmm. to try and redo that again. Um, yeah, I, I don't think the uh, there's that level of integrity anymore in, in a lot of sequels. This This feels... Like, it's a very honest movie still. It, it, obviously, it did end up making a lot more money. Uh, I think uh, yeah. I was reading this, out of all of the Lethal Weapon films, this is the most successful in the franchise. Oh, really? Yeah. That's interesting. So, yeah. uh, and you can sort of see why, I think, uh, as we go through these. This is this film has, I, I think it's the the darkest film, the funniest film, of the franchise yeah. as well. It's also got probably the most heart because it, I think it's got some really cool, important messages in some more obvious than others, um, and I think that's why it's so good because it it didn't just do a sequel; it did a sequel with a really valid, super important message. 
So I think uh, I think it, it yeah. deserves all of the money it got. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. I mean, the reviews as, as that I've looked at, um, I had a brief look through the IMDb and Rotten Tomato scores, like seven point two IMDb. IMDb always seems to hit a bit lower in sequels, anyway. But Rotten mm. Tomatoes gave eighty two percent of the critic score, so I think that's pretty favourable. Yeah. Um, obviously, Shane Black, Richard Donner. Um, you've got Mel Gibson, Danny Glover back. We also threw into the mix in this one, Joe Pesci, who I guess he, he was big in, at the time anyway for all the Scorsese movies and everything else that he'd been in. Had he done Home Alone by now or is this pre-Home Alone? I think this is like just a year before Home Alone, isn't it? This, this will be before Home Alone, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so this is, they, uh, <laughs> they actually referenced this film in Home Alone. Oh, really? Yeah, so uh, it... You know, uh, throughout the film, Joe Pesci's character, Leo Getz, he does this thing where he goes, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, Apparently, yeah, yeah. that was a Joe Pesci ad-lib that Donna really <laughs> liked. And uh, in Home Alone, uh, the van label on the van is OK Plumbing. Oh, well, yeah, of course it is. Yeah, I knew that. <laughs> That's great. So... I didn't know that. I didn't see the link. So yeah, so that's apparently a reference to this, and it was all um, from apparently a visit to Disneyland, where Joe Pesci thought that the uh, staff at Disneyland were too eager to please all of the time, even though they didn't so want funny. to. <laughs> uh, yeah, you're right about the success, though. This film grossed over 145 million dollars. Um, right, no, in fact, bigger, no, in fact, I've got a wrong. I've got another figure. Sorry, two point two hundred and twenty-seven point nine million at the box office in nineteen eighty-nine. Wow. That's big money, isn't it? That's a big. That is, that's huge. That's a big payday. Yeah, they. I think they. The success of the previous film just worked in this one's favor massively. Uh, you were right about mm. the budget increase. Uh, the budget for this film was thirty million dollars. The I say the return is over two hundred and twenty-seven million off of a thirty million budget. I don't think of a you don't even see films make that much money now in retrospect. You know, with with you know inflation no. being what it is, that is an insane amount of money. It's crazy, isn't it? I I think when you uh, the number of people. Involved, I think one of the scenes in the film uh, where they pull down the house on stilts, yeah. I think that in itself cost $500,000. That's crazy. Oh, hang on, James. Sorry about that. We'll just edit the whole beginning bit. Um, yeah, do you know the good thing about this sequel is everyone is in it, like you say, like everyone's back. Even the minor characters like um, Dr. Stephanie Woods, who does the, uh, she does the um, assessment of Riggs in the first film and his, his psych evaluation. She's in this film. Like, it's kind of mad, isn't it? How many people they got um, and they just, they're all back. Um, they really, they build on those relationships as well. They're not just sort of one-off cameos. They're, they're, yeah. It's, it's played like they're always interacting with one another. It feels like a lived-in sort yeah. of universe, it's, it, uh, which I really like because he calls the Doctor Doctor Sigmund Fraud, doesn't he? And, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I like that. So yeah, so we've got full cast back. We've got the same writers. We've got mm -hmm. um, Clapton's still involved. 
so a lot of the electric guitars you hear Eric Clapton playing around. Um, we've got some really cool musical cameos. George Harrison is in the film at the very end. Is he? Uh, yeah, yeah. It, you know the song that plays at the end? It's uh, George Harrison and Tom Petty and one of the other Travelling Wilburys. Oh, I thought you meant he was in it, like, as a South African oh. bad guy. <laughs> no, no, no. That would be cool. <laughs> that would, I would be lo- cool. I would, I would love a Beatle as a South African bad guy. But no, he sadly, not, not true. <laughs> you can um, tell the budget's bigger on this one, because as soon as it starts, it's this high-octane chase sequence across L.A. Um, yes. One thing that this benefits from, which I think a lot of sequels do, they do it like with Guardians of the Galaxy 2 as well. They, a lot of these films do this. I think with a sequel, you either... They seem to either be, we need to get the gang back together again, so it's like another origin film, or mm. they just go, they're all back together, drop them all in straight away. Do you know what I mean? It's like yes. Avengers, you do the second Avengers film. Do you assemble the Avengers again, or do you just say, look, they're all together, drop them back into an action sequence? And they did that in the in the second Avengers film. Um, second Ghostbusters film, they're all estranged, so they have to come back together again. Um, Guardians of the Galaxy 2 they're all together and it's an action sequence so they seem to do either one or the other Um, and I like the idea that in this one it's just Riggs and Murtagh they're on their beat they're cops in LA and they've got a bad guy to catch and they just throw us straight in there straight in at the beginning it's great and they find a shipment of illegal Krugerunds had to google that I had no idea what a Krugerund was (laughs) Um, it's a it's a a monetary uh, is it South African money? Yes. Quite. Yeah. So it, it yeah, the, it's it's basically South African gold, which at the time uh, you weren't allowed to import into the US because of sanctions due to apartheid. Oh, okay. Yeah, makes so, sense. Yeah, so that's why it was sort of a a big shock for them to find it there. And uh the we do get a minor introduction at this level uh, at this stage of the film. Mm-hmm. Um we get introduced to Trisha's new car. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which is almost it's, instantly trashed. Isn't it like, <laughs> it's just a station wagon, isn't it? Like, why are they in yeah. a station wagon on a high-octane chase? It's just brilliant, because obviously this is not Riggs's car. He doesn't care about it. It's no. not Murtaugh's car. But there's a one bit in the chase where Riggs is driving, and Murtaugh just keeps yelling at him, saying, there's not enough room, there's not enough room. And Riggs is yelling back, there's plenty of room, it's fine. And then he trashes the side of Riggs's Oh, Trisha's station wagon. And uh, at the end, he's just giggling and going, you know what, Rog, you're right, there wasn't enough room. <laughs> <laughs> I just love it because he knows he's not going to get in trouble for it, but Murtaugh is. It's brilliant. Oh, that's good. I um, I like the fact that the, the Krugerrand is like finding a, a hoard of pirate gold from Pirates of the Caribbean or something. <laughs> I was like, sorry, what were they arresting? A pirate? Is he some sort of South African pirate? Which I guess it kind of is. Yeah, yeah, um, basically. There's a lot of weird stuff that kind of... Uh, yeah, we'll talk about the bad guys. I mean, the bad guys in this are South African apartheid um, government-based people. One of them is... Isn't he like the attaché to the embassy of South Africa in yeah, LA? Yeah, he works, he works for the consulate. Um, yeah. And uh, all, all the other people around him are basically his uh, sort of diplomatic crew... So they all apparently get this diplomatic immunity because they're doing sort of government work. But they're all so bad guys. What, they're all bad guys, so they're using their immunity to shield <laughs> them from you know the fact that they're 
they've they've done various things. You find out throughout the film they were once selling drugs and now they're just moving money around. It's it's all very shady stuff. It's um it does seem like we have to I don't know, it was weird, wasn't it? Like cuz I guess in the last film it was American ex-military um drug dealing on a large scale. And in this film it's sort of uh, it it kind of screams that um, that anti-apartheid sort of you know you know what what was the common thing around the world at the time is that people didn't like what was going on over there so yes. like you do with Indiana Jones where you make it Nazis and then you make it Russians and and you make it God knows what else in this they've kind of gone who is bad guys who <laughs> which bad guys can we have like yeah. who's available should we do neo nazis no should we do russians no nah, can't be bothered let's do south african apartheid people <laughs> so like which country can we poke with a stick and probably yeah. get away with it it feels uh, yeah. like well the next in, like, do you know what i mean like for us it'll be it'll be they'll do china in the next Indiana jones film because that's kind of the only superpower in the world that we haven't really made into textbook bad guys <laughs> yeah yeah it's i it, i think as well it because it was so prominent at the time i think the year before this uh, before the first lethal weapon um danny glover actually uh starred in a nelson mandela film as nelson mandela it was for tv mm. so it obviously was something that was very close to the people making it um, and we had the uh, Free South Africa End Apartheid sticker in the first film on... Uh, yes, on the fridge. On the fridge. So this, I think it's really, really smart the way they've tied it into that that previous film as well. Because it, it's not just... It doesn't feel like it's some sort of cash grab, like they're not benefiting from other people's suffering. It was obviously a message that they wanted to get yeah, out there, yeah, which yeah. I think is, is commendable <clears throat> at the time. Because there was loads of uh controversies going on like uh, musical artists were um boycotting south africa they weren't going to, to tour there but some did go to tour there because they wanted to support the people rather than the government so it there was a lot going on at the time and this film sort of happens in the midst of all of that chaos yeah uh, and and it really lands a few really smart punches which is good yeah, it's a strange one, isn't it? Um, it's also easier to look back at history through that looking glass, through that prism of sort of knowing how it came to be. Because I remember me and Natalie had it on when, when she was here and she was like, hang on a minute, who are these bad guys? Why are they South African? Is Nelson Mandela not the prime minister? I was like, no, 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 it's the 80s. He's still in prison. <laughs> like, yeah. This is uh, this is not, yeah, this is this is old school. This is the Africana um, um, people. Yeah, sorry, the... The Africana apartheid government, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, this was all sort of current happening. Like you say, it's 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 weird us going back to it now. I guess. Yeah, but it was at, happening at of... the time of the filming of the of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So. Yeah. Sorry. Go on. I was just going to say I really like that it kind of starts out with the seizing of the money, and then the plot really quickly is about the South Africans. They don't want uh, Riggs and Murtagh poking around in their business. They're very much aware that if the police start getting wind of what they're doing, it's going to be bad for business. And uh, don't they call out a hit on, I think, on Murtagh, don't they? Yes, the night. yes. So they uh, they they go and uh, because um, one of the, the South African sort of henchmen says that a, a scared cop is more useful than a dead cop. So they just go and scare uh, Murtagh by taping him up and 
basically insinuating that they've done something to his kids while he can't do anything about it. Yeah. Uh, and obviously, it's it's all just a a fake out. It's there as a, a way of scaring him, um, and it it basically does the polar opposite of what they were hoping it to do because it really gets them interested in uh, in finding more out more about what's going on, uh, and then they get landed this somewhat unrelated job of looking after uh, Leo Getz. Yeah. And they, they, they're not really interested in it until it turns out it's all interlinked in one yeah. of those brilliant movie-style things where everything's lin- interlinked. Uh, it's all linked up. So Leo is actually going to be testifying, supposedly, against what uh, what the uh, South African consulate uh, sort of pirates, if we're going to call them that, yeah. are, are doing. Uh, so it's all interlinked. And uh, the, uh, the, the reaction they give, though, when they're in the office being told that they've got this assignment, they're like, that's rubbish. I don't want to do that. I want to be a I want to be a real cop. I don't want to I don't want to babysit somebody. Uh, so yeah, it's it it brings back the captain from the previous film. It builds on their relationships, and it, he's trying to minimise the damage that these two are doing out there on the streets because of how much the initial car chase has cost the, yeah. the local government already. He's now start trying to sort of minimise their involvement and ends up throwing them right into the centre of it all. Yeah, it's great. And then it. we get the bit with Leo Getz um, says he's going to take them to the um, location where the drug uh, where the drug dealers used to live that he was working for. And it's a house on stilts. And obviously, when you see that in the movie, you're like, why is it a house on stilts? That's stupid. It makes no sense. Is it because it's on the edge of a cliff? OK, it's on the edge of the rocks in like Hollywood or whatever. Yeah. Um, and then you kind of think, don't you, like everything in a movie. Why did they make the decision to put it on stilts? Is that going to pay <laughs> off at some point in the film? And of course, it does later on. It does. I love that it almost pays off immediately because the way they get into or try and get into this house on stilts is Riggs pretends to be the pool boy. <laughs> and the bad guys come out and like, dude, it's a house on stilts. We don't have a pool. <laughs> you please leave. <laughs> That was really good. I like. Um, I did like Joe Pesci's performance in this film. Thought it really did do a lot for the for the movie. What was funny is when I when I went on Now TV to watch Lethal Weapon, it comes up saying um, it was like a, a summary of the movie, and it says something like high octane sequel with Danny Glover, Mel Gibson, um, and Joe Pesci provides the comic relief. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that was it was quite important in a way because he. He'd mostly done very serious roles, I think, up until this point. Yeah. So it was it was probably a, a big deal to see Joe Pesci doing something that was that comedic, and he you know he does get some of the best lines. Yeah, he really film. does. He looks like um, he's having an absolute ball as well. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, the the uh, the, <laughs> the argument they have in the back of the car after they pick up uh, drive through subway. I just it's one of those things where he goes on about how you should the always tuna. go up to the counter yeah ne- never never go to the drive through always go up to the counter and then he just goes into this massive rant about how they fucked you in the tri- in the drive through because by the time you get out there you're not going to know what you've got and it, by the time you realize it, it's too late and it's just it's just this constant and the, all, all all Riggs and Murtaugh can do is just turn around and yell at him shut up it's brilliant it's a very Shane Black thing that for me um there's loads of Shane Black related tropes that are. I think I've spoke to you about this in the last episode, but they all kind of pay off in Lethal Weapon too. So you've yeah. got you've got an explosion, 
which is in the house later on. We'll talk about in the, to- with the toilet. You've got the um, bad guys who have got a uh, female um, associate who is not really very good at her job and ends up kind of siding with the good guys, even though she's supposed to be a bad guy. You've got yeah. the comic relief. Um, you've got all those elements, you know, that take place that are all very, very uh, indicative uh, of, the, of, the, of the Shane Black style. And especially if you look at things like Iron Man, 2, Iron Man 3 and Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, there are yeah. so many similarities between this movie and those two movies. Yeah, they, they really carry that feel through, don't they? It's yeah. It's... Uh, it, it's in this film, obviously, this is probably like the germination of some of those ideas. It's the way it started. Mm. They, they've, uh, they, they, but they're really up front and center. And uh, the, the, you can't watch this film and not think of Shane Black. No. Yeah. Totally. Isn't this the bit where um, Riggs says um, he tries to read Arjun's name out on the um, on the little passport thing, and he's and he goes, ah, uh, Arj, I don't know, I should probably just call you Adolf. I was like, whoa, yeah. <laughs> whoa, Mel, yeah. calm down. Well, that that bit's so I I think it, it's sort of like the I guess it's the the uh, the biggest example of how tense times were. Yeah then you know in terms of how people were feeling about it um and uh obviously the it, it links into the fact that a lot of the south african sort of pirates that you meet yeah. in this film uh have very distinct accents you know they're very stereotypically south african um and uh the so name calling like that it happens a few times in the film actually i think that's probably one of the tamer things that mel does yes, to be fair in yeah. this film I mean, there's a a bit later on in uh, Arjun's office uh, where, as Mel's leaving, he just keeps saying "big smile, big smile," and it obviously it's meant to sound like Zeke Heil, Zeke Heil. Oh, I didn't get that. And okay, it makes sense now. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so some of these things are obviously really heavily sort of referencing Nazis and the Holocaust and uh, things right, like that. Okay. Um, so, so that's what that's why they're they're doing it because uh, I, I guess the feelings were so intense. Yeah, um, you know, in terms of what was going on and how how especially America yeah. saw it. Um, and uh, yeah, I I I think that scene's great because they explain the diplomatic community, and then there's a, some sort of indication that the the lead henchman yeah recognizes him what, Riggs yeah what his first name is, and then they have and a little exchange like, so later. Um, there's also going back a little bit that little scene with the bad guys yeah. where we get to see where he I think it was really neat, and I've never seen it done in a film before, where he walks in and he says, "What's with the plastic?" and he goes, "Oh, I'm having painters in." Uh, and then he shoots the guy who who loses the the money at the beginning, and then in doing that he they just falls onto the plastic sheet, and then the other guy comes in and just yes. rolls the sheet up, so that, you know, so there's no blood or mess. And I was like, oh, that's really clever. Like, it's funny, <laughs> but it's also from a bad guy point of view. Yeah, if he's killing people all the time, he needs to he needs to have a really good clean way of getting rid of them, and I think yeah. that works. It, it does, and they reference it again in the film, yeah. which I, I love that they yeah. they they sort of lay out these jokes and then. 
they they hit them out the park later because the same guy that did the killing in the first scene with the plastic looks on the floor when he comes by, in, doesn't yeah. he? Yeah, <laughs> it looks like you know, and the the, the head bad guys are just like, what, what are you doing? And the other guy just responds, oh, I'm just checking to make sure I'm not stood on plastic. And it's just like, okay, so yeah, this is just a common thing they do. Yeah. This is this happens. Uh, so yeah, I uh, I really like, I, I love these are great bad guys. They are actually, bad guys yeah, go, they are they are good. Because you, you hate them. You really dislike them, and I think and they're arrogant a bad guy as well. In a film, they're arrogant. They they think they're going to get away with everything. They they really don't think that these two cops are just going to break everything apart for them because they think they're in control of everything. Yeah. Um. Uh. Which is it, it's it, it's great when you've got that bad that kind of bad guy, and then you see them fail. Yeah. And and it gives you that sense of satisfaction. I'm trying to remember my way through the movie. I know that because um, it was last week, to be honest, since I've uh, last watched it. Which uh, normally, for people that listen to this podcast, me and James are fresh off watching the film the day after, usually. Um, so there is the bit where um, we meet Patsy Kensett, who is the uh, she plays Rika, who is like a secretary yes. to the bad guys to the consulate. Uh, also, yeah. with a South African accent, and she and. Um, Riggs have a sort of romance halfway through the movie, which does feel kind of tacked on uh, and a bit pointless. Yeah. It also is that whole male gaze thing where she just kind of she hates the way he acts, and then half an hour later she's in bed with him. <laughs> so it doesn't really make any sense. Um, yeah, it's it's a bit odd. It's a bit <laughs> odd. And um, the 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 one bit that I quite like is the bit in the supermarket. Where he's, he's basically where stalking her, though, isn't he? Yeah, essentially. But the, the, when he he's, he's quite open about yeah. it, so it's not like he's he's not doing a very good job of stalking her. It's the bit where they're both holding her shopping basket, and he he's trying to invite her home for tea, and he's like, "Come on, please say yes." <laughs> oh, everyone else says no. And I'm like, "That's just weird and quite yeah. funny and very yeah. Shane Black again." It's like, "Come on, come on!" Everyone else says no, and then he starts screaming that she's trying to steal his shopping. Um, so that. It is tacked on. It it doesn't really serve much of a purpose yeah. until Rika dies. So again, she's she's not a very good uh, example of some sort of. She's very pretty and she's just, need to. Yeah, yeah Mel needs to kiss somebody in this movie. <laughs> um, oh, we missed one big important bit. Um, another subplot is uh, Trish and her her commercial. Yes. Not Trish, sorry, not no. Trish. Um Rianne. Rianne, um played by Tracy Wolf. Um so Rianne has a commercial coming out and they all gather at Murtar's house to watch it and it turns out to be a condom advert, which I just thought was exceptionally funny. Yeah, it's it's, <laughs> it's such a cool scene. The uh the handyman McGee hmm. um it, his comment apparently was an ad lib. Which I, I really love. So yeah, when he, when he says, "Oh, it was a really good advert. It made me want to buy rubbers right away," <laughs> and, he, and Murtaugh just turns around and gives glares at yeah. him. Um, the uh, yeah, and and 
when Myrtle leaves the house after having this sort of mini fight with everybody, and he's like, oh, you had to tell everyone, uh, you know, you had to tell all those other police officers, they're going to be, they're going to tease me horrendously. And, and Riggs is like, well, you know, the guy's in one ear out the rubber. And I just love those mm. little side comments that Riggs <laughs> makes to Myrtle that are just so cutting, but very, very funny. Roger goes home on his own, and he is basically held hostage on the toilet by a bomb. Yeah, so the uh, Riggs gets a a call uh, from work. It's like Roger hasn't called in. Can you go around and see him? He goes around and see sees him, and Roger's stuck on the toilet. It is. It's uh, just one of the a, best uh, movie moments I must admit I've ever seen. It's so well executed. It, it's incredible. <laughs> I I I love it. it's sort of like all this gallows humor yeah. that goes on because it's it's obviously a really serious situation. Yeah, yeah. The the guy sat a on a on a trigger for a bomb under his toilet, and he apparently he noted he did this. He sat down the night before <laughs> and turned and noticed that the toilet roll had "Boom, you're dead" written on it. So Roger's been on this toilet all night before anyone's found him. <laughs> so his legs have gone numb. So he can't. He can't lift himself off or anything like that. So when when the uh, bomb disposal guys are there saying, you're going to have to jump into your bathtub, you just see the look on Roger's face. It's, it's so brilliant. And, and yeah, and the this is the, we're, we're going to go on three. Yeah, one, two, three, go. It becomes like this yeah. running, yeah, it becomes this running gag throughout all the other films. And uh, they, they're arguing over whether they go on three or they go three and then go. And it's it's just great when they, when Riggs just looks at me and goes, it's your call, because obviously Roger's the one that's yeah. in real danger. Um, it's it's yeah, such a good it's, scene. It's even it's the bit at the beginning where he's like, you need to tell somebody, like, I'm going to have to call the bomb squad in, we're going to get these guys in. He's like, yeah, yeah, but Riggs, be discreet. And then it cuts to the street, and the street's <laughs> just overrun with cops. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. Even the uh, even the therapist has mm. made it in from work, um, and uh, so she's there. Then she gets told to leave. Everyone gets told to leave, and it's finally just Riggs and Murtaugh Myrtle in Murtaugh's yeah. to- bathroom <laughs> talking. And it it's just I think it shows how good they are together as a, yeah. a pairing. That it just feels so real and natural and funny but serious at the same time it's just it's just it gives you all these different emotions and then it ends with the toilet hitting the windshield of trisha's oh is that trisha's car that it hits i didn't realize (laughs) yeah yeah trisha's car gets totaled again and it's just it's looking so ridiculous at this point this car's falling apart i like the constant um Reference to him being too old for this shit, yes. despite being only ten years older than uh, Mel Gibson. Yeah, <laughs> I bet he actually. If you look at Danny now, I bet he looks the same age, if not younger, than Mel does. Yes. Yeah. Oh, he does. That's so weird. It's funny, isn't it? Um, so that's when they really get under the skin of the South Africans, and they sort of declare war on the police, and you get this montage of various police officers being taken out. Yeah, it's people that were in the scene where they went to the house on stilts, isn't it, early on. They all get taken out. And then that's where we get the sequence. um, Is that where we get the sequence where they go to the house on stilts and it kind of comes down? Yes, yeah. So at this point, um, the the South Africans have uh, 
captured Leo. Yes, they capture him whilst he's in the car, don't they? They yeah. take him. So yeah. they capture Leo because uh, uh, Murtaugh's figured out what the name of the boat is. They capture Leo yeah. at that point. They uh, capture Riggs and his new girlfriend, the um, secretary. They, they capture her, kill her. Uh, they try and kill Riggs. Obviously, doesn't work because he's Riggs. Um, and they end up uh, at the, the stilt house, basically. And Martin's like, when you hear my, you know, when, when you get my signal, you go in, just all guns blazing. And Rog says, but they've got Leo. <laughs> Riggs just sort of looks really frustrated. And then he looks up and says, oh, well, be careful, but still shoot everybody. <laughs> I, I love that. It's just like, there's that moment where it's like, well, I suppose we shouldn't kill Leo. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's just a minor inconvenience that he's there. We shouldn't kill him. Uh, and yeah, they, they pull down the, the house on stilts. It's but... such a great se- sequence that. Oh, it's great. It's, it's great. And they, um, the, the, the one bad guy, the, uh, the guy that we've now discovered killed Riggs's wife. Yeah. Um, gets away uh, from, from the house. Uh, they go chase him down to the boat, and we get another uh, Shane Black trope of the uh, at the docks the, at the docks. Yeah, with <laughs> with containers, Jake. Lots and lots of containers at the docks, but they're getting one of them that's just full of money, and a, and it's got a car in it, <laughs> and a car, money, and a car. It's just a weird set of things that you would not expect to find together in a container. Uh, but this is the money that they're obviously trying to ship back to uh, South Africa after laundering it in the US. Yes. And uh, they get shut in the container. And it's they so funny. Brilliant way to get out of it. They just launch the car out of the container. And all the money comes out as well. All the money's everywhere. So basically, bad guy's plan's been thwarted. And he he just looks so annoyed. He's in, then he says, well, at least make sure you've killed them. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah at yeah. least we can do that. So you end up with this, all these guns firing into the water. Uh, Riggs and Murtaugh jump out of the ca- container because they never actually left and uh, take down the bad guys. They move through the ship, taking down every every single one of them. And we get a really cool sort of fight sequence at the end. Yeah. Which I think is really well shot. This is obviously... Similar time period to like the Die Hard films, and that this, I think this is just nice because you you get to see uh, a, a similar fight scene to what happened at the end of the first film, but yeah. it's instead of water being everywhere, this is you're in a ship, and it's dry, so you've got water all around what's happening, but it's it's all happening in this dry, and it's super well lit because it's. It's just yeah, you've got uh, that harsh like shadow, spotlight. Half light, yeah. Yeah, yeah, harsh spotlight on them, and it, the uh, the soundtrack for it's really cool as well because you've got all these sort of uh, I think they're kalimbas, they're like little thumb pianos and things like that that you can hear in the background, oh. uh, and it, it's just it just builds that tension, you know, the sort of like high pitched yeah. bell type sounds. It, it builds builds the tension really well as Riggs is basically being taken to task by head. Uh, head honcho's head honcho, the, uh, the the main guy who was the guy that killed his wife, um, mm-hmm. and it's again, it's that that satisfaction you've had it revealed to you how horrible this person is. So when Riggs gets the upper hand, it just feels really good. Yeah, because he's had it, Riggs is sort of disadvantaged right from the beginning. He's he's had a knife thrown in his leg, 
and then he uses that knife to take out the guy initially and then he drops another container straight on him yeah and it does that thing doesn't it like you say where it adds to the tension because you know that this is the guy that killed his wife which was the problem that led us to the first film so it's it's kind of giving him an arc but extending his arc beyond that of the first movie Uh, because you felt like oh he'd kind of gone through his arc in the first movie and now he doesn't want to kill himself and he's got a partner and everything's a bit better for Martin but in this one it's like they've gone a bit further with that and actually given him the payoff which they couldn't give him in the first film which I quite like yeah yeah I think it works really well and uh, (coughs) so then we then we get the best line yeah go on the best line in cinema history James (laughs) it's oh this this franchise is really quotable it is but this this is the line isn't it i just it's i love such a famous line across all all movie genres and all fans of of action movies um yeah it always harks back for me to hot fuzz do you know when they're talking about like how you finish a, an interaction with a bad guy, you have to say a quip. There has to be a quippy line. Yeah. And in this film, what does he say? He says, uh, he holds up the, the, the license, doesn't he? And says, uh, diplomatic community. And yeah. then Danny Glover just shoots him and says, it's been revoked. <laughs> <laughs> it's brilliant. It's just so well delivered. Uh, but then they follow it up with a line that's even... I, almost better than mm. that, but because that line gets quoted, it's when Riggs asks um, if he asks Murtaugh, are, "Are they gone? Have you killed all the bad guys?" Yeah, and and Murtaugh <laughs> just says, "Yeah, they, they've been decaffeinated." Yeah, <laughs> which I, which is because he kept calling which, him that name, didn't he? Uh, it's a, a yeah. racial slur for a black person. Yeah, yeah, I forgot about so that. So I. I Again, love that, love that line. So those two lines, sort of back to back, and th- this apparently a uh, bit of film trivia. This is the only Lethal Weapon film that ends immediately after the final battle. Oh, really? So all all, all the other films have sort of like a, a a prologue at the end. Oh, okay, yeah. But uh, uh, sorry, an epilogue mm-hmm. rather. Uh, so yeah, so they all uh, they, they all have a little bit afterwards, uh, but this film. Uh, you 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 hear the uh, George Harrison tune playing in the background, <coughs> and it just sort of the, the camera pans yeah. out, and Riggs is asking Murtaugh not to make him laugh because it hurts, <laughs> which I th- I think Shane Black's used that in other films. Um, that that idea, I think it's in Kiss Kiss yeah, Bang Bang. Yeah, well. again, I need to revisit Kiss Kiss Bang Bang because it's probably been about six seven years since I've seen it. But yeah, I will have a look at that, especially now that I've seen these two. I feel like I'm just going to go back through all my Shane Black films. Yeah, but it is such a great movie. Um, it's got everything. Can you hear I think me? I've lost you again, Jake. This movie's just yeah, got a little you. bit of everything you want. If you think about an action movie, a cop movie that ticks boxes. It doesn't get much better than this. Uh, it really does tick all of those boxes and more. It's a great. It's a product of its time, so oh, it's not yeah. without its problems. Yeah. But I feel like the um, the racial slurs and the and the um, you know the racist um, over overarching thing. You know, it's a part of that plot, isn't it? The reason being that we're not just fighting bad guys; we're fighting something yeah. bigger. 
in the case of apartheid, which was then to end a couple of years later. So it feels like it's got more, like you say, more of a message behind it. It's got a lot of heart in it, but it also has something that not a lot of other action movies have got. They don't have, they have silly accents and they have silly bad guys with silly overcomplicated plots and and overcomplicated uh, plans. But what they don't have is something based in reality where it does feel like, especially for for Murtar being a black policeman in L.A., um, it probably would feel very personal. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's I, I think because of because of the the times it was in, and obviously they they had a, a history of of mm. being anti-apartheid in the first film. This film just follows up. It's almost like a one-two punch of you know these are social issues right now, and we yeah. this is how we yeah, feel definitely. about them. I really like. Um, that. So, time for some facts. Fact number one. This is the only Lethal Weapon sequel where the number in the title isn't in flames. The number two appears in bright red instead at the beginning. So, so yeah, it's like Yeah, it's like penciled on, isn't it? Yeah, so in all other uh, Lethal Weapon sequels, uh, the number's in flames, uh, but not this one. So I did not know that. Yeah, you see? Little, little, little facts, little trivia. Um, fact number two, in the beginning chase scene, Riggs reads the license plate 24 Adam Henry 174. Uh, the Adam Henry part is an inside joke, being that it's a police movie. And in police lingo, apparently... Adam Henry, A-H, is an abbreviation for asshole. <laughs> <laughs> That's good, I like that. Um, the mm-hmm. apartheid South Africa link continued after the film was made, so fact number three is that apparently this was shown unscheduled on Australian television the night Nelson Mandela was elected president of South Africa. Oh. And that was, that was in May 1994. That's great. So obviously, several years after the film was made, they showed this. Obviously, with Mel being Australian by birth, it was probably quite a proud thing for them. Yeah. Because that's that's something to be celebrated. Um, I mentioned fact number four previously, but I do have a bonus fact, so this is all good. But uh, Jack McGee is the real person's name who played McGee the handyman. And he ad-libbed his line about the condom <laughs> commercial during rehearsals. And the cast and crew liked it so much that it was kept in the film. So I love that his name's actually Jack McGee and they just they called his character McGee. <laughs> they, they were that creative. I mean, that's a little bit like every film we see Jack Nicholson in. His character is called Jack. Remember that? Yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe it just makes it easier. Maybe yeah. that's it. Um, sure. I, uh, so this is fact number four? Five? Five, but technically four. Um, yeah. The prop Beretta that Mel Gibson uses in this film is the same prop gun he would use in Lethal Weapon 3 and Lethal Weapon 4. Not only that, but it's also the same prop gun Bruce Willis used in Die Hard, Die Hard 2, and Die Hard (laughs) Revengeance. Why have they not got any more guns? Uh, Apparently not. This this prop gun is so, so special. Like I, I I couldn't find out in doing some research around it where this is but yeah. I hope it's in some sort of Deserves museum deserves to be a museum because it's been in some incredible sort of 80s 90s action movies mm-hmm. uh, yeah well 
my bonus fact, and this is the one, because most of the time, dear listeners, we get a lot of our trivia from IMDb because it's a good spot <laughs> to find it. Because we're lazy. Yes, very, very lazy. But this I actually did some legwork for. And um, during, uh, just before they watch Rianne's commercial, um, mm. there's an argument that's not about the commercial. Do you remember what the argument's about, Jake? Um, in the house? Yeah. I'll no. give you a clue. It's about what Roger's eating. Roger's eating a tuna sandwich. Oh, yeah, it's about tuna, because he gives up tuna because of... Um, uh, oh, God, is it something to do with the sea? Something to do with... Um, like, yes. Because like, so... it's, not, it's not ethically sourced or whatever. Yeah, so I, I mentioned that this film has a, a few important messages. Yeah, Obviously, I forgot about that. Yeah. Ending, ending apartheid is, is a big deal, very big deal. This was similarly quite large, because this was in, in, in people's sort of mindsets. So um, in 1988, so a year before this film was uh, released, a biologist uh, jumped on board a Panamanian flag tuna fishing vessel and using a video camera recorded the horrifying images of hundreds of dolphins dying in tuna nets. Yeah. So this was a, the like the 80s version of a video going viral. So it shocked the, the world and it it caused a lot of people to boycott tuna that wasn't caught in a, a dolphin friendly way. So this film they actually it, it seems shoehorned in because it sort of is I guess but they uh, Trish actually uh, reminds Roger why they're boycotting tuna and, and delivers that message and uh, it was in 1990 the three largest tuna companies yeah. in the world uh, agreed to stop purchasing processing and selling tuna caught by in, uh, intentional chasing and netting of dolphins oh. so it was, it was soon after this film was released that you, you end up with uh, sort of dolphin-friendly or dolphin-safe labels applied to tuna tins. So I'm not suggesting this film caused that, but it was another yeah, it was social that time, issue yeah. that happened. And it's really cool that they, they actually... It, it stands out in the film because it's a bit abrupt and a bit awkward, but it's there to deliver a message. And I think that's, again, quite a brave thing for them to do. They're... they're coming off the, the commercial success of the previous film and they could have just gone with making another action film but they actually made an action film that talked about yeah. apartheid yeah. in South Africa and uh, say dolphin safe tuna I love it <laughs> yeah so yeah so that's, that's the, uh, the it's a great film it's I, I think the next next week's film, film three, yeah, is also good, but it's got a lot to live up to, and I don't think it quite makes it. Yeah, but we'll have to wait and see. We always find that we go through do the franchise with a franchise that peaks quite early on, and then we get subjected <laughs> to a load of shite for weeks on end. Um, I do reference heavily um, Fast and Furious in that. In that, I was going to say we're looking at you, Fast and Furious. Oh God! <laughs> right. I like that. I'm happy with that. And uh, yeah, I need to watch it because I don't think I've ever seen the third one all the way through, if I'm honest. Oh, excellent. Well, I, I'm looking forward to getting your opinion on it because, I, again, good film. Maybe not as good as this week's, but uh, some equally cool messaging. Yeah. Like it. Right. 
I will let you go, James. Thank you for today. And um, I will watch Lethal Weapon 3. And we'll be back probably before Lethal Weapon 3 with our Christmas special, maybe. Yes. Depends how much time we have. But um feels like we could be in the realm, in the, in the area of you know, a Christmas special. It, it does feel before. like Christmas is tomorrow. It feels like. It does. <laughs> yeah. It seems to have crept up on us again, doesn't it? Yep. Um, but yeah, I'll, uh, we'll, we'll work it out and we'll uh, put it out this next couple of weeks. Right, thank you everybody, and I will see you soon, Dave. Take care. See you soon. Take care. Take care, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.